everyone. Welcome to the Extra Podcast. This is Paul speaking. Uh, good to be with you again for episode number 249. With me is Kyle. Hi, Paul. Good to be here. Well, I'm so glad you're here, Kyle. I'm glad to be here as well. <laughs> and Greg. Hi. Hi, hey, Greg. Uh, why were you yelling at the beginning of the episode? Well, no, I don't know. Were you really excited? That, I'll, I'll just sit further back, maybe, because my voice is just too powerful for these yeah, microphones. Yeah, you have a voice that carries. I have a voice that doesn't. <laughs> Your voice lulls me to sleep, Greg. You know, you're not the first person to say that to me. I know. There's an entire family whose uh, kids fall asleep to our podcast, and you are their favorite host. That's because I'm the easiest to fall asleep to. Yeah, so so <laughs> my apologies to the Fast family because I'm hosting today. It's not Greg, but at least Greg's here. So boys, uh, chill out. You can listen to Greg's soothing tones as you start to... Just relax uh, as you think about logs. the good parts of your day and you wait for sleep to come. Mm. Mm. <laughs> Are you counting sheep yet? Yeah. And uh, back from Africa, our friend Ezra. Yes, I am back from Africa indeed. It's good to be back. Great. No, no Greg good to is have hugging me. Oh, dear Lord. Yeah, Greg. So <laughs> Greg's a hugger, Ezra's not. Totally. So if you want to make Ezra's day, give him a hug. <laughs> not really, more Jeff. If you have to make Jeff's day, give him a hug. Ooh. Yes, Jeff loves, he loves hugs. <laughs> he totally loves hugs. So as you over mm. in Africa, how was it? How was your trip? My trip was great. We had a we had a wonderful time. We went. Uh, team I shouldn't. Of seven I shouldn't people. just say Africa. I should say you, Uganda. We went to Uganda. Because there's many countries over there. So yes, we did. So we went to Uganda. With we left on the seventh, and we came back on the twenty fourth of March. Uh, it was a very very good trip. A small team of seven people, and I think that was the ideal size. It was an eclectic group of people. You know, some younger, some older. It was great. We had a wonderful time. Uh, while I was there, I had an opportunity to go to a compassion, um, a compassion project in Nairobi, Kenya. So I was able to also visit my folks just for about two nights, oh, good. which was good times. And then I saw compassion. Wow. Can I just commend compassion to everyone who's listening? Mm. Those people have a wonderful, wonderful ministry, and especially the way they partner with local churches to reach out and to... Uh, provide assistance to children who are from needy families and all that. It, phenomenal, phenomenal um, experience for me to actually see compassion firsthand. And then I went back to Uganda to join the team. We were able to visit Wellington and Dolly Oliech. They are our Northview missionaries who are serving in Uganda. Uh, they Wellington planted a church. Uh, about a year ago, and now mm. they're about 100 people, which is really, oh, really fantastic. good. Oh, yeah. So I was able to preach at that church uh, the first Sunday we were there. Mm. So it was it was a very, very good uh, experience. Is, but, it a, is it an English-speaking mm? church? Oh, yeah. Or, yeah. I mean, Uganda Great. is basically an English-speaking country. I mean, they speak Lugandan, which is mm. basically most Ugandans would speak Lugandan. Mm -hmm. but, and, and then they would also speak their native tongue. But English is uh, considered the official business language. So most people speak English. Mm. So the team was able to connect and uh, interact mm. with just the local um, resident of Uganda, which was great. Mm. And then we also were able now to go from there to Jinja, where Banana Bread Barb 
Mm. Uh, most of you know Banana Bread Bribe. We were able to visit yeah. her, her um, orphanage and interact with the children. I think that was a huge highlight wow. also in our, in our trip. And um, we got to interact with the kids. She has a beautiful, like the Lord has really provided and she mm. has a beautiful, beautiful place where these kids are, safe environment, nice fenced in. It was really wonderful. And uh, the night, uh, our last night there, the kids in the morning would go to school really early so we wouldn't see them. They would leave maybe about quarter to seven or something like that to school so they wouldn't interact with us. So the, the, the kids cried and cried, mm. um, just saying their goodbyes. That was oh. hard. That mm. was very hard for the for the group. And I think uh, it would really be awesome, God willing, if North you could send another team maybe in about two years or whatever back there just to visit and encourage. It was a phenomenal trip, mm. phenomenal trip. And I'm thankful that, A, I was able to go, B, the team was able to come, and also thankful to everyone listening for buying a donut <laughs> or or even for supporting one of our team uh, teammates uh, financially to go. That was, thank you so much. Mm. I, I mean, I've just given you, like, not even a tip of the iceberg, mm. like a drop um, of mm. what, what happened. The Lord did phenomenal things there. That's awesome. So, mm-hmm. Ezra, you also cool. said that you got to, you were like famous radio preacher man. <laughs> yeah, so, and I, I think our, our studio over here maybe even is, is it, is it as hot as the one you were in over there? Oh my goodness. <laughs> so, so when we went to Ginger to visit with Barb, um, uh, Edwin is the gentleman who, uh, the Ugandan gentleman who's helped Barb a lot. Since, ever since she started, Edwin has always been there helping her out. A very honest, lovely, down-to-earth kind of guy. Anyway, so he knows people, obviously, in Jinja and all that, and he's connected to a radio station that basically is a Christian radio station, and it's heard all across the country. So when Edwin heard that one of the preachers from Northview is coming, so he talked to the radio station people and told them, hey, we have to get this guy on air on Sunday morning. So 7 a.m. on Sunday morning, our last Sunday in Uganda, I was able to go to this radio station to preach. Um, there, so they have a very small studio, and obviously it is uh, soundproof, airtight, and all that. They had a air conditioning air conditioning um, unit that had uh, broken down, so it wasn't working. So I walk into this room, and it was already like hot, and I'm talking maybe 28, 29 degrees hot in there, no moving air, nothing, and I had to preach for an hour, dude. Oh my word. <laughs> That was fun. Yeah, Ezra, you, you tend to sweat a little even in an air-conditioned room. Yes, this, this, was, preach, this so. was not pretty. So I'm trying to tell myself, <laughs> I'm trying to tell myself, you know, sweating is good for you. Yeah. Yes, oh my word, I was drenched. You lost like, weight. Li- oh man, 10 pounds of it <laughs> in that one hour. It was, but it was great. It was, such a, it was such, a, such a good, it was a very, very good experience. Did awesome. you stay well hydrated in the room? I mean, we were we had to drink a lot of water because Uganda is hot and humid, mm. like through and through. So we were just going through bottles of water, bottles of water, mm-hmm. our, our entire team. But while I was preaching, no, <laughs> I didn't drink anything. I just went. Attaboy. Man, it was, it was beautiful. That's great. Yeah. Awesome. And this past weekend was Easter. Uh, we had a number of services over here, and one special service got served Pascha even. Is that right? Yeah. Greg, were you there? Pasca. I wasn't. I wasn't there. But the we advertised it for weeks as, "Hey, come and get a Timbit," and then Easter, the Saturday night. Apparently, the story goes that some of the ladies from the Menai Girls Can Cook were like, "Are you kidding me? 
you're going to serve our church Timbits on Easter Sunday. That's not going to happen. So they came into the kitchen and made a lot of uh, Pascha, and it was eaten by many, many people. Kyle, you bless. were there for 7 a.m., right? Yeah, 7 a.m. was great, and lots of mm. energy with the, the music and great, great sermon, and great to see lots of people up for Easter mm. Resurrection Sunday. And my kids were actually drawn to the, the Timbit plug, uh, but their tastes aren't quite refined enough to enjoy Pascha, so um, they just enjoy the Timbits. And is Pascha a refined taste? Uh, well, for, Pucci, for a five-year-old, no. For a five-year-old, I, well, I would expect. I mean, I've had Pascha my whole life, and I, I can't imagine uh, not liking it. It's not that they didn't like it; they just it was an unknown, and they knew oh, Timbits, oh. so they went with the known over the unknown. Mm-hmm. There you go. The safety. No, of, that's fair. Can we just say a huge thank you to these ladies? No. Oh, come on. Great. Okay, fine. Be nice. Okay, fine. I mean, yeah, thank you so much for this Mennonite Girls Can Cook group. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know if it was the official group. I, I think Lavella Schellenberg and um, Annalise and I, I think probably some other people. Yeah. Too. Thank you so much, guys. For, Amen. Yeah, for your wonderful ministry. Service. You blessed a lot awesome. of people, 600 of them. I think. Oh, yeah. yeah. It was good. Awesome. So to get to a few questions here, uh, the first one is actually... Uh, looking at a passage from Exodus, hmm. uh, Exodus 32, uh, 30, verses 30 through 34. And uh, this is recently, the, the listener sent in this question. They were recently discussing this as part of their uh, community group. And um, they had a couple of, they, uh, she, she writes, they had two thoughts in the group of what, this, what was going on in this passage. One was that Moses was stepping into his intercessory role uh, foreshadowing the coming of Christ, uh, but was unable to be acceptable uh, to be the acceptable atonement for the sins of the people. And the other thought that they had in the group is that Moses was acting prideful. Uh, so, but I'm wondering: are either of these readings um, are either of these readings accurate? Are either of these readings good readings of the text? Maybe, or? maybe Greg, are you there? Maybe you can just I'm read here. the the the, 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 where do the you passage. Want, where do you want me to start from? Thirty, maybe verse thirty. Yeah. So, yeah. the the context of it is uh, the golden calf <clears throat> and people, yeah, dancing around it, worshiping worshiping the calf as as the Lord. Um, so verse 30 starts by saying, The next day Moses said to the people, You've committed a great sin, but now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. Should I keep going? 31? Yep. Where do you want me to stop? To 34. 34. So verse 31, So Moses went back to the Lord and said, Oh, what a great sin these people have committed. They've made themselves gods of gold, but now please forgive their sin. But if not, then blot me out of the book you have written. The Lord replied to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. Now go, lead the people to the place I spoke of, and my angel will go before you. However, when the time comes for me to punish, I will punish them for their sin. And the Lord struck the people with the plague because of what they did with the calf of Aaron, with the calf Aaron had made. Okay, Great. so the question was. Uh, the question is Is Moses taking on an intercessory role as a foreshadow of Christ? Or is something else going on here? Well, I think the first piece, and then I'm going to let Kyle talk because he looked ready and excited. Yeah. The second part that I heard in the question was, like, is this Moses and his arrogance right. or something acting yes. improperly? Mm-hmm. 
Uh, I, I don't think the passage presents that at all, of Moses overstepping any bounds of his role as mediator and intercessor. Like, I don't think that, that Moses did anything improper there. I don't mm-hmm. think that he was guilty of any kind of overstepping of a role. So I think any of the, in this community group, any person who is trying to propose that type of a viewpoint as though Moses was acting improperly, I would I would tell them, I, I think they've misunderstood right. what's going on in the story. But right. I'm going to let Kyle and in his infinite wisdom tell us. Infinite? Mm-hmm. I don't know about in infinite. In his finite finite wisdom finite uh stab at this question i there guess you go. um yeah i, don't, I, I see <clears throat> moses as being really really gritty and really down to earth and really just emotionally engaged in this in this problem and and i don't see it as him being prideful as hey look what i can do mm. um and i don't see him necessarily being in the back of his mind being a distinct foreshadowing of what Christ would do in his fullness, but I think he's he's hitting on a point that forgiveness is necessary, uh, but there also needs to be some sort of payment for sin. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he's offering in himself himself as a substitute for that, right. which is uh, very noble of him. Um, but God doesn't take it. God doesn't uh, accept mm-hmm. that as the right type of substitute. Right, and this isn't prideful. I mean, he is the covenant mediator at this point for the nation of Israel. So for him to offer himself like this, he's he's not being prideful. He's just doing it's part of his or he was seeing it as part of his role. Mm. As Go. a covenant yeah. mediator. I think I think uh, one of the things that uh Reading the text in its context, you have to go back to verse 10, where God is really upset with his people. And he says, verse 10, Now let let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, in order that I may make a great nation of you. So in other words, God is very angry at the fact that these people are already disobedient toward him, and they are now worshiping a calf and all that. And now God wants to to pour his wrath to these people. And Moses is probably trying to to come against that and say, okay, Lord, no, 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 wait. And if, if you can't forgive, then lump me into the same group. So in other words, I'm going to identify with these people because, again, like Kyle has said, he was covenant, no, like you, yeah. Paul said, he was covenant mediator. Mm-hmm. So he was representing these people. He was one of them coming before the Lord, representing them before the Lord. And so it is him trying to do his mediation uh, with the Lord um, when he says he's going to, 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 to atone. Basically, he's not necessarily going to be offering a sacrifice necessarily, but interceding on behalf of the people, just crying out to the Lord for mercy and grace upon these people who God has redeemed already from Egypt. And so him reminding God, hey, Lord, what are people in the earth going to say if you do this mm. kind of thing? And so if you're not going to forgive, then lump me in with them. So he was basically just acting in his own, uh, just as as covenant mediate. And obviously, um, some people may look at that and see a type and shadow of Christ there, but we are not seeing a substitutionary atonement here. We're not seeing penal substitution here. Right. Uh, Because, I mean, Christ went way further than Moses would ever do. Right. In terms of him offering his sinless life. Right. For us, yeah. yeah, and from the sorry, from the uh, from our perspective in history, when we can look back through the history of redemption, we can we can look at what Moses did, and we can see that he was uh, acting as a foreshadow of Christ. And even Hebrews tells us that Christ is the better Moses, whereas Moses was really just a 
a shadow of the coming of the Messiah, but it but those shadows don't show the fullness no. of what Christ will do. All no, no, no. Of, each of the shadows may show a portion Just or a piece, mm-hmm. but it's not it's never the full meal deal. Only when no. you get to Christ do we see what exactly what the Messiah is or who the Messiah is and what he's supposed mm-hmm. to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, shadows are never exact representations of of what they're shadowing. Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, I could, depending on where the sun is, your shadow is shorter than you or taller than you or, you know, depending on, mm-hmm. like, the perspective. So the shadow gives a representation, but it's never the exact thing that it's that it's pointing to. This is a great chapter, really fascinating, um, as those are brought in some more of the context, because uh, God's obviously upset that the people are disobeying the first uh, the first commandment of having no other gods right. before him. Yeah. Um, and he's like, I'm going to keep my promise to Abraham, uh, Isaac, and Jacob and make a great nation. Uh, but I'm just going to go with Moses as the person who I'm going to make the nation through and and start fresh with him. Um, but Moses uh, intercedes and pleads with God uh, to say, hey, what? but what would that do to your name, uh, the fame of your name, as the Egyptians look at this event? And, and if you did do that, they would... Well, this Lord brought them out of, of Egypt and slavery to wipe them out just to start fresh with this Moses guy. Mm-hmm. So he, he's he's interceding with the Lord, and he's he's... He's proposing this this plan in a sense of 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 how God's fame can be greatly known and how God can maintain His promise in the covenant to Abraham by making a great nation. Yeah, nice. Okay, so how does that work? Yeah. Like, how, how does it work that that Moses can like change the plan? Do you know what I mean? Because when you read the story. Like, it sure sounds like God wanted to do something, and Moses was like, hey, God, that's not an awesome plan. A better plan would be to do something else. So how do we make sense of the fact that God is sovereign, God God knows history, God knows what is going to happen, we believe all of these things to be true, and yet you have these passages where God apparently changes his mind. Is it just, or are we just banking on the word apparently, and this is just Moses' perspective? Or how, how do we make sense of this as people who try to who do hold a high view of God's sovereignty and of his foreknowledge of history. Sovereignty doesn't mean static. So when we think about sovereignty, sometimes we default to things just kind of happen because they're all written that way and there's no, you know, there's no interaction, there's no relationship that's also involved like in the equation. Like a determinist, yeah, de- yeah. determinism. Um, total, maybe total aside, but um, WWE is having a big event and it's going to be on Sports Center, and I just heard this. People are upset that professional wrestling is going to be on Sports Center because it's an athletic event, but it's predetermined. It's prescripted. If mm. Hulk Hogan's testimony under oath was true, uh, so it, it's predetermined in a way. But there's still this mm-hmm. energy. There's there's a dynamic. How does the story unfold? What's going on within the story? And we don't know what's going to happen within the story of professional wrestling. How much more so, God who does have sovereignty over everything, but yet he's interacting with his creation in a in a real and dynamic way. And this is a great example of of how that sovereignty isn't static and how it plays out relationally. Right. Yeah. And when when uh, we're called to prayer to to be as a, a part of uh, God's plan and to work with Him, it's part of the. Uh, I mean, if you look at 
the Great Commission. I mean, we're and some some people will say we're on a co-mission with Christ. Like Christ is on mission, and we are His co-laborers with Him. And when we when we pray, we are a part of that plan, and even our prayers are a part of that plan. So here we see God's you know talking, and He's talking with Moses, and Moses Moses talks with Him, and, and He's praying, and and God God's plan unfolds according to Moses's prayer. So, yeah, it's not that Moses changed his mind, but just that Moses's prayer was actually a part of God's uh sovereign plan. Yeah. I I think I think you I I would add to say I think um is it is it that Moses brought convincing arguments to the table to the effect that he changed God's mind or do we see God who is legitimately upset at the sin of his people, and the just thing for a just God to do was to bring judgment and condemnation. And mm-hmm. yet, now we see the mercy of God play out. And all Moses is doing is just crying out for mercy. And God now chooses to extend mercy and grace over people whom he would justifiably right. uh, destroy Very, because yes. they're sin. They're sinful people and they're wicked people. And I think the same thing would be said when you look at the salvation story. Uh, like how I became a Christian and how you became a Christian, like seriously, God should technically judge you and right. send you to eternal damnation. Why? You're a sinner. You're a violator of his law. But then at the same time, he's a merciful God and he chooses to open your eyes that you may see the glorious nature of the gospel and come to saving faith. Mm. He does the same thing. And let's say my mom prayed for me for years. Uh, your, 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 your parents, your, your church, people prayed and God chose in response to their prayer mm. to, to, to extend mercy. Now the question then would be, did God, did your prayer change God's mind or did your prayer just fall in line with his sovereign plan, as Kyle was saying, and I think to say that your prayer fell in line with his sovereign plan. Mm-hmm. Right. So I don't want our listeners yeah. to miss out on something Kyle did. That's fine. In comparing redemptive history to WWE. <laughs> was, that, was, that your, was that your move? I just, I, like, it was all very eloquent and true. I just want to make sure that people don't miss that. So you comparing like, professional wrestling Vince McMahon's with sovereign the sovereignty plan of God yeah. over WWE? Yeah. Well. Hey, you know what? All, all <laughs> illustrations are helpful to a point. Amen. <laughs> so, that was good. But they have a limit. They have a limit. <laughs> and don't take something too far. Totally. It'll all lead to heresy eventually. So don't. Right. I'll have to jump off the top rope on you, Greg. See? Yeah. The wow. elbow. There you go. We're going to no, turn hey, hey, we the flying are, elbow. We are in a Mennonite brethren church. Like the macho okay? Ooh, We are pacifists. Yeah. We don't jump. We're going to turn this studio into a, what do you call it? Ring? No, we What do not. they call it? Wrestling? Is it a ring, Poochie? It's a ring. Yeah, it's like a boxing ring. Same thing. Sure. You can tell I'm a big fan of the professional wrestling. Oh, did you have a, a, a stage like in middle school or no. elementary school where like no. professional wrestling was fun and entertaining? And, no, I always thought it was weird. I'm I'm not saying other people can't like it. I just and maybe it's that generation, Kyle. Uh, did you play with the little the little toys like the rubber men, the wrestling men? Action figures, yes, not not toys. Sorry, okay, <laughs> correct. I did. I had the Hulk. I had the Hulk Hogan. I had the uh, uh, magnificent Morocco. Do you remember that guy? 
Uh, no. I, didn't See, I was it. probably a little more into it than you guys. Poochie, did you watch wrestling? No, Poochie didn't either. <laughs> Who's Poochie? Matt. Okay. Oh, yeah, Ezra. You have not you been might, on the podcast You haven't been in here time. for a while. I haven't been here for a while. So mm. You'll have to go back and listen. Totally. So on to the, okay. next, the next question uh, is from a uh, listener who has been watching the news over the last, well, a couple months ago now, actually. Uh, in Oregon, there was this wildlife refuge standoff, and these, these people were were claiming that it was their land and that the government had no right to come and, and uh, take over. Or I'm not exactly sure what was going on in that whole standoff, but uh, these people said that they were fighting for their freedoms, they were fighting for their liberty, and one of the guys who was standing up, it was like an armed standoff, they had guns and everything, and one of the guys uh, got pulled over by the police, came out of his vehicle, and got shot and killed. Uh, so the, quest, the listener sent in the question, he, he said in, in John fifteen thirteen, uh, and he quotes from the King James, he says, mm-hmm. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And so he's, he's wondering, he's like, okay, so we know that on a personal level from friend to friend, like if I was to go and die for Poochie, Poochie's going to get hit by a bus and I push him out of the way, but I get hit. Yes, that's a noble thing. But what about when it's to do with something that's like a political revolution mm. or things like mm. that? Is this is this dying for our friends if we think we're we're dying uh, for the betterment of uh, of our neighbors uh, on a political level or on a on a freedom level? Is that equal to this? And now, when we look at this situation, that we might not see the situation itself as justified, but in in general, is right. that a good thing? There seems to be two conversations here to me. One one is when you bring in the biblical text like John 15, the, yeah. the exegete and all of us are going to want to ask, what is John 15 talking about? Right. Um, so that's one conversation. The other one is what the questioner really wants to know, I think, which isn't what is John 15 talking about, but is how do we understand the validity of giving up our lives for the sake of a political revolution? Right. right? Yeah. Two kind of separate yeah. things here. <clears throat> sure. So I think, I mean, I just read through John 15 as you were reading it, the question. It, it seems to me like John 15 is about Jesus basically telling his disciples, I'm going to give up my life for my people. And in response to my giving up of myself for others, I'm asking you to love each other. So because of what I do in my life of self-sacrifice on the cross for your sins in your place, now you as my followers need to prefer one another, love one another in response to what I've done for you. That's what I'm seeing in John 15. Correct. So, okay. so I, I'm not convinced then that this passage is meant to be used as a, as a motivating tool for giving up our lives for any kind of cause. Mm-hmm. Um, so that would be my first comment, and I'm going to leave it to you guys to kind of pick up on, I mean, you can critique what I just said or, or pick up on the second part of the question. Yeah, I think the thrust of what you said, it, it's great. Jesus is talking about his own self-sacrifice, um, but his sacrifice ends in death, but our sacrifice in the text doesn't, end, I mean, it could end in death, mm-hmm. but it it's supposed to be played out every moment of our lives. So our sacrifice of loving one another is our giving of ourselves to other other believers in the context, other Christians, and that's the way we die to ourselves, is that we give ourselves moment by moment, day by day, decade after decade, if the Lord gives us breath, to do that. So mm-hmm. while it's it's noble to lay down your life for a cause in the sense of that's demonstrated your greatest 
your greatest uh, desire and your greatest value, um, all values are not equally valuable. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's better to die for a human than die for a principle. Mm-hmm. And it's the best for Christ to die for humanity and all who will come, come to him. And we show our love for him by then dying to ourselves and our selfishness moment by moment, day by day. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. so, so the Anabaptist in me mm-hmm. is going to want to talk about now the political movement piece and dying for it in the sense that, like, I, I'm not persuaded that as Christians we are called to die for our nations. I think that we're called to give our lives not for the good of the nation that we're in primarily, but for the good of God's kingdom and for the work of the church moving forward. So so I, I'm always a bit reticent in my own mind and heart of, of language of, of um, dying for a political movement, as though we're trying to establish the greatness of a nation. Um, nations will rise and nations will fall, and um, that's the history of the world. And every time a nation rises, people think things are going great. And when it's falling, everyone thinks it's the end of the world and that mm-hmm. everything's going to end. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet that's the story of history over and over again. And so keeping in mind the fact that this is how history works, nations rise and fall, and that Jesus is coming again soon, if we kind of keep that immediacy of Jesus could come back any time, and yet over history, nations have have come and gone and the Lord has tarried. Um, I, I just want Christians to have a singular focus on the kingdom of, of God over and against any kind of nationalistic pride. So, so I, I wouldn't condone, that's not the right word. I wouldn't recommend for sure, um, a giving up of ourselves for any movement other than, than the Jesus movement and people giving themselves to Christ as Lord and Savior. That That's what I think is worth our lives. How our countries that we live in play out over the course of history will be interesting to read in the books if Jesus doesn't return too soon. But would you say that um, it would be a Christian thing for the Christian to speak up against injustice that may be happening in your nation? Totally. Yeah, yeah. Use your voice, use your influence, be, be a... a James Davison Hunter has the book of To Change the World. He uses the language of faithful presence, this idea of using your voice and your influence in the areas that you're in. Use it for good. Um, totally. Speak up against injustice. Work for the good of, of the people around you. But then speaking up for justice and the good of the people around you, depending on the nation you're in, could cost you your life. Hmm. So like I think about... Uh, African countries, for example. I mean, mm-hmm. I can only speak for Africa because I grew up there, and so I understand. And so there are various countries in Africa where a lot of people are oppressed, and there's a lot of injustice toward women, toward the weaker people of the community, or if you belong to a different tribe or a lesser tribe, so to speak. And so, therefore, um, you, the Christian, you look at the injustice that is happening, mm. these people being oppressed, and so you begin speaking up against it uh, because it's a Christian thing to do. You want justice for all, right? Mm-hmm. And in so doing, then all of a sudden, you now come to butt heads with whoever it is who's ruling the nation or yeah. the region. Yeah. All of a sudden, it's now a political movement. Yeah. Yeah, I think the difference there that I would see is the differentiation that Kyle brought in of the idea of giving up of yourself for a person who is infinitely valuable as being created in the image of God. Um, 
and giving up of yourself for a political revolution. That that's where I, I would maybe that's maybe that's a cop out. That to me is a is a nuance that I'd want to add to this this piece. Mm-hmm. Kyle, what do you think? Yeah, if liberty is to free the oppressed or people that are legitimately uh, having lots of injustices you know, inflicted upon them, then we speak up against that because there are people involved. Um, and I haven't done an exhaustive study of the Oregon um, group, mm-hmm. uh, but the idea of liberty to them wasn't um, wasn't that type of injustice. It was the the government having too much say on how much firearms they possessed or what they did with their land because of the government have the, having the ability for taxation purposes. So those types of liberties uh, don't rise to the level of the liberty you're talking about, Ezra, of what you see is right. not happening in yeah. Africa or not happening in, in much of the world. Yeah, yeah, right. I think for me, I look at the question and I see, okay, as a citizen of the world, I live in the world. I live in a world, and I live in a nation. And so, um, as a Christian, I know I don't belong technically to the na- uh, technically to the nation that I live in. I, I represent the kingdom of my heavenly Father who has saved me, mm-hmm. and therefore, my chief end in life is to bring glory to this. Mm. Father in heaven, who has sent his son to die on a cross for me and, and to, to enjoy do whatever him forever. exactly and to do whatever I can to to ensure that his name is known and to make him famous in the area and the sphere of influence that he has placed me in. Um, in so doing, I may find myself in situations where there is injustice happening around. And so for me, trying to usher in his kingdom, or his kingdom principles in the area that I live in, then I may be forced to speak up against injustice that I see uh, around me. But realizing that in so doing, they might I might have to face the heat, you know. But but then the reason I'm doing it is not necessarily for the nation that I'm living in per se, but it's more me as a representative. The reason I'm doing this is because I'm trying to usher in the kingdom. I'm trying to represent. Mm. Uh, the kingdom that I truly belong to, and that is the kingdom of Christ, yeah. and trying to see his values upheld in the world that I live. But and again, they can mix, uh, they, they, it, it can l- like bleed over into into what we see in society today, totally. the injustice we see and so mm-hmm. on. Yeah, as we're living out our call as Christians, living out our Christian lives, we are ambassadors for his kingdom, right? We're mm-hmm. ambassadors of his kingdom to the world, mm-hmm. and that mm-hmm. that enters into every mm-hmm. part of our lives, the way we the way we live our marriages, the way we work in our workplaces, and uh, and the way we handle our money, mm-hmm. even. So uh, that which leads us at kind of the next question. Actually, can I make a book oh. recommendation? Uh, sure, let me yeah, love I'll parallel this idea a little bit as far as uh, its its uh, author is N. D. Wilson. Um, and it's called Death by Living. Uh, life is meant to be spent is kind of a theme that flows through it. And he's a really, mm-hmm. really good author, really creative guy. And his, part of his point is that as you live your life, mm-hmm. um, you're spending your energy and your life on all kinds of different things. And what you spend your life on is an indication of what you value most, even if you haven't made really distinct um you know, hierarchy in your mind of what's most important to you, what plays out in your life is what you value most in your life. And so it, uh, death mm-hmm. by living just demonstrates that we all live our lives for certain things, um, and those things demonstrate what we are treasuring in our heart. Yeah. Right. Great recommendation. 
I will take it in, take it to heart. <laughs> I can only read the book. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so we're getting to the next question here. Uh, the listener wrote in about um, about money, and he's wondering uh, when he reads in Luke six. If one of you guys want to pull that up, uh, Luke six verse seventeen to twenty six. Mm. Um, and his question is: uh, This this has a list of blessings and woes, which seem to suggest that being wealthy is a bad thing. Uh, now we live in a very affluent society where I mean, I mean, if you are poor in our society, you're among the five uh, percent um, most wealthy in the world, basically. So when you look at when we look at our society, is it? I mean, you're just wealthy living here. So is it bad to live here? Is it bad to be wealthy? Is it bad to be able to laugh uh, and enjoy life, or uh, mm. do we need to be sad and? And be um, be giving up our uh, the, our enjoyment of life because we're Christians. So I can read part of it, starting at verse twenty. Yeah. Um, Jesus, looking at his disciples, said, "Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you." when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven, for that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets." Mm. So there's a context to pay attention to here, right, Greg? Yeah, for sure. So I, I think, um, well, why don't, Ezra or Kyle, why don't you guys take a first stab at, at this one? Sure, I'll jump in. Um, as Greg read, there is a list of, of blessedness and a list of woe-ness, mm-hmm. I guess, if I could put it in those terms. Um, so a list of things to be uh, blessed for and uh, things to be um, to avoid or to be woeful about. But in the middle of that, and I think this is like a hinge almost in this, mm. this list, this, these lists, it's not just generic descriptions. Um, in the middle of that, it talks about these all happening on the account of the name of the Son of Man. So Christ puts himself in a re- very real way in the very center of the blessings and the woes. Right. And every, if everything isn't filtered through him, then none of, us, none of it holds together, none of it makes sense. So all these blessings flow from him and are be used in light of him, and the woes are warnings... Uh, of things that will distract us from him. Mm. So I think uh, when you look at the woes, so you're coming to verse 24, 25, and 26 of this passage, uh, you will see, you know, what to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. What to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. What to you who laugh now, you know, you will mourn and weep. I think the issue is not necessarily we who live in North America who are so affluent and we're mm-hmm. Christian that, hey, it's war to us, like we right. need to be poor. I don't think that the past, if, you, if you're understanding the passage that way, I think you have missed the point. Mm-hmm. I think the issue here would be someone who's rich, but he's also has a disdain towards God. He's someone who's not submissing to, submissive to Christ, uh, not a Christ follower, someone who has now placed his confidence in his wealth and material possessions. That one is the person whom God is speaking to, someone who is godless. You've put your confidence in your stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Rejoice now. Uh, trouble is coming. 
And when Jesus is saying, whoa, oh dear, this is not going to go well for you. The one who is full, again, speaking to this rich person who has everything um, life can offer. You know, you, you, you're sick, you go to the hospital, you know, you buy a pill, you, you want to go on holidays, you have a good car, good house, whatever. Yeah. I think those things are not necessarily bad as long as we acknowledge from whom we have received them from. Mm-hmm. So being wealthy and affluent is not a bad thing. It's If anything, I think we should thank God and praise him that he has chosen to bless us this way and be conduits of his blessing. However, exactly. if that's where our confidence is at... This is the person whom Jesus is talking to. Woe to you if your confidence is in your money. Guess what? Yeah, because you're full now. Guess what? You will be hungry. Mm-hmm. There's a day when it'll come. If your confidence is in your money, sorry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and even in the even in the New Testament, we see people that have money that provide for uh, for the missionaries, for the apostles as they're going about yes. doing their yes. doing their ministry. As the apostle Paul, I mean, he he writes. Uh, the letter of Romans to the the people of Rome, as he's hoping to go to Spain uh, yeah. and presumably hoping that there will be people there that will support him in his ministry to go. Yeah. So he's he's trusting that there are Christians that are going to have money that are going to support him. But mm-hmm. but the the support part as mm-hmm. as a wealthy Christian is the is the kind of the peace because we want to make sure that we're like you said being conduits of God's blessing. We want to be generous with others Absolutely. and not not hold on tightly to the nice car you have or the house you have and, and worry that your house is going to get dirty if you have people over or mm-hmm. something like that. Like, mm-hmm. like open up your house freely, open, have people over, be hospitable. Yeah. Th- these are things that we're called to do as Christians yeah. and ways that we can, as Ezra said, be conduits yeah. of God's blessing. You see, I, I just come, I came back from Uganda this past week. Mm-hmm. And one of the things, obviously, being in Africa, I, was, I, was, I saw a lot of poverty. Myself and the team that I went with, we saw a lot of poverty, a lot of need in Uganda. We brought the gospel, we proclaimed Christ to them and all that. But one of the other things we were able to do, because the church was so generous towards us, the mm-hmm. team that, uh, that uh, was sent out, we had... Um, resources where we could go and buy food and buy supplies and be able to bless needy families. So we'd walk to a small little village and hug a dirty, sick lady full of HIV AIDS Mm -hmm. and buy her uh, groceries and hug her and tell her we love her and tell her, hey, you know, so-and-so will come to see you next week and we'll have another bag of flour or sugar or or rice or whatever. Mm. And we were able to bless these folks. And so I think many people I've heard who in North America who say, you know, we have so much, so much, you know, God should just take it away, take it away. You know, God shouldn't, it's almost like the blessing is a bad thing. And I say, absolutely not. We need to pray, God, continue to bless us. Continue to lavish your grace upon us, not so that we can be all rich and and buy ourselves big houses and fancy cars and all the rest of it. No, so that we can bless. We can be a blessing to the world so that we can be able to show the world that surely our God lives. Mm. And, And as long as we acknowledge the fact that it is from him that we have what we have, it is from him that we are who we are and what we are, what we are, as long as we return all the glory to him mm-hmm. and we are able to be conduits of his blessing, this is a good thing. Mm. It's a very good thing. Yeah, Psalm 67 is a great psalm that ties these two, two together. Um, it begins with, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. So mm. he's asking for the relational and spiritual blessing from God and that 
that context and that relationship. But in, in, also in the context of blessing is spelled out in very materialistic f- senses in the, f- in, the, in the form of good, healthy crops and those kinds of things. So it's, the psalmist is praying for material blessings. Yes. Praying for blessing from God to see His face, that, that relational blessing. Yes. That's verse 1. But verse 2, um, it gives a purpose or a result of that. It says, so uh, that your way, God, your way may be known on the earth, your saving power among all nations. So mm. pray for blessing, but don't pray for blessing to simply end in yourself or for your own means, but pray for blessing to be used so that God's name might be known exactly. in all the earth. Mm. Exactly. Great. Well, that's a perfect way to end, I think. And uh, but is for for our last closing words, I'm going to give it to Greg to say good night. Good night, fast family. Please just you know sleep well, <laughs> Earl and the kids. Just you know enjoy the sounds of my voice as it drifts off into the song. That's the background. That's assuming sleep. assuming they're still awake listening. To oh, you. As you're quiet. Oh, I'm sorry. The kids you, are trying to sleep. As you sleep, count the sheep. One.